the morning. You hear it with me a little bit on that. Uh, we are we are live uh, on on social medias out there, YouTube and Facebook. And so hello to all those folks out there. Hello to all you here now for the first time since this all happened. We're, to, we're together in the room where it's happening. And so that is that is a good thing. I hope you had a festive Fourth of July weekend to celebrate our, our nation's uh, birth, as you will. Um, but it's 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 good. Speaking of birth, um, I need to take a second and, and look into the camera and say happy birthday to my mom. Uh, today is her birthday, and uh, we're not physically together, but she's watching, hopefully. If not, then I just embarrassed myself and didn't know it. But happy birthday, Mom. I love you, and uh, we'll be calling you later today, and we're going to have a uh, Zoom dinner together on uh, tonight for her birthday. So it's uh, it's good. It is good to be here with you. I, I have lots of memories uh, with, with my mom. In, in life that's gone on, and one of the one of my favorite memories growing up was when we would go on vacation, and vacations were kind of a big deal for us. We'd save up and plan up, and then we'd go on a vacation somewhere. Uh, usually, we would drive. That was just kind of what we did. And as we would drive, we would stay at hotels. Now, to me, staying at a hotel was the greatest thing in the world as a kid. Like I thought it was fantastic because you didn't have to make your bed ever, and that was all. You could leave the towels on the floor in the bathroom. Uh, it was and it was always cold and dark and the pillows in the hotel were always bigger and softer than my pillows at home. It's just like everything was better in the hotel room and I was so excited to to get to have that. Also, one of the things and I recognize this this tells you how old I am uh, because it doesn't happen anymore. But I thought the coolest thing was the wake up call in the morning. Like I thought that was pretty neat. You call the office and tell them what time you want them to call you, and they call and wake you up the next morning. And it's just a fantastic thing. Like, you get to pick it, you get to pick the time, and, and they call, and, and then you're off on your great adventure for the day, which is, it was great. It was expected, and it was wanted, um, and, and I thought that was just a really cool thing. Now we have watches and Fitbits and phones and all the things that do it for us, but, uh, but that was a neat thing for me as a kid. But then I got older, and wake-up calls changed a little bit in my life. So I went from the fascination of being a kid in the hotel room to my freshman year of college. And uh, I went to college, and again, a whole new world in college. And it's all fantastic, and there's, there's no one there to, to make me get out of bed. There's no one there to fix my lunch. There's no, and, and the way that I was looking at it, classes were optional. Like, you don't even have to go. Like, how cool is this? You don't even get in trouble. You just don't go. And it was awesome. And so comes Christmas, I get this incredible present from Sam Houston State University, Eat 'em Up Cats, and, uh, and this beautiful letter that said, you received a 1.7 GPA this semester, and now you're on academic probation. <laughs> okay, that's quite a wake-up call. A little bit different. I, I wasn't wanting that one, um, and honestly, I wasn't expecting it because, hey, I was there. I paid my money. Just give me the thing, right, uh, kind of deal. And then as I got older, again, wake-up calls changed where I became the one that had to give some at times, and, and that's one of the, the tough parts of the job of being a pastor and a youth pastor and um, I remember I had to, to make a call in the middle of the night and wake up a parent to say, your son has OD'd and then you need to meet me at the hospital. And uh, thank goodness that, um, that he survived that, that incident, but we talk about a wake-up call. And, and now I'm the one calling a parent to, to do that. I, I would be amiss to think that the last four months of what's gone on in our world hasn't been a wake-up call. It, it, is, it is changing every day. And we're trying to figure out how we're supposed to respond to this thing. It's, it's a wake-up call on so many levels, if you look at it. Um, COVID-19 
has rocked our world. Racism has rocked our nation. Every student being homeschooled has rocked our community. Isolation, fear, and anxiety have rocked our families. There's a new normal seemingly every day. And if you don't think these are wake-up calls, if you don't think that something needs to get our attention, then we're foolishly asleep. But the question then becomes, how do you respond to a wake-up call? Like, what's our response supposed to be? Because ultimately, there is a response required from a wake-up call. And there has to be something done. So how are we going to respond to this wake-up call? How are we individually? How are we as the church? How are we as Texas? How are we as America? How are we going to respond to this wake-up call? Because our response will dictate what happens. Like, we, we have influence in the way that we respond. Just as you have influence, kids, in the way you respond to your parents, side note, the better you respond, the less trouble you get in. But we get to control our responses. We may not control the circumstances, but we can control our response to it. And, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ezekiel is where we're going to be, Ezekiel. Um, it's there in the Old Testament. Not far from the middle, but uh, this is an interesting thing, and, and we're going to look at quite a bit of it. Um, I'm going to kind of unpack the first chapter without reading the whole thing. We don't have time to get through that whole chapter, but it sets up what I think is important for us to hear today in all of this. Now, Ezekiel received quite the wake-up call in this chapter, of chapter 1 uh, of this book. Now, Ezekiel was a priest who also was a prophet. He had dual role uh, that God had put in his life there. He was part of the captives that went to Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. He was in the second wave of captives. There was, there was waves of captives that were brought into Babylon, and you can read about the history, but he was in the second wave of that. And after he had been there for five years is when God put this call on his life and, and began to kind of rock his world in this. So even in captivity, God was was calling. God was giving him a wake-up call, was saying, it's not okay just to sit and do nothing. There's something more out there, and we have to respond. So he gives him this vision. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to know. I was there. Uh, how this happened? Was it a dream that he had when he was sleeping? Was it a daydream as he was walking and praying? Was it while he was doing his job and whatever he was doing? I don't know the details of when, but it tells us in verse 1 that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. That's what Ezekiel says in the very first verse. I, I, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now, this vision, let me explain to you so we don't have to read the whole chapter together. Basically, it starts with this windstorm with a huge cloud full of lightning. It's, it's like if you were outside at all in the fireworks. There's just lightning everywhere with these fireworks going off. I mean, I was really driving down my street, and they would set them up in the middle of the street, shooting them off. I'm like, whoa, what is happening right here? And they just scattered. But, um, but that was happening. And, and so it gets his attention for sure. The very first thing he sees is this windstorm and this huge cloud with lightning. And as it gets closer, in the middle of this giant cloud with the fire and the lightning, he saw these four creatures. Now, these four creatures, he said, had human form to them. Now, this is something that when I get to heaven, I'm like, God, DVR, can I go see what Ezekiel saw in this moment? Like, it may scare me, but I'm willing to take a chance. Like, this is crazy because what he saw were these four creatures that had human form, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Now, the four faces were on the four sides of the head, I guess. I don't know if it spun around. Like, yeah, and you saw the different faces. Like, it just, again, this is a weird deal. One looked like a human, one looked like a lion, one looked like an ox, and one looked like an eagle. 
These are the four faces. This is the best way that he knew how to describe what he was seeing. And and there's been different scholars that have different ideas about what all this means. I'm not here to interpret that specific thing. The one I read the most was this was God revealing who he was in many different forms in this thing to get his attention. It's like the introduction for God coming where he would say that the human would represent intelligence and understanding, a lion, leadership and supremacy, the ox, servanthood and sacrifice, and the eagle, power and deity soaring over all. That this was just a picture of that God was the whole package. And we need to remember that we're not God, and he is, and he's revealing his awesomeness, his bigness, his incredibleness, whatever that word you want to use there. And then underneath each of these creatures were like wheels that were intersecting wheels, but the rims were eyeballs. Like this, you can't make this stuff up. This is right here in scripture that's there. And so then as he, as he sees this, they were bright and moving as fast as lightning. Like this is all happening in the middle of this big giant windstorm and there's lightning. I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing. And you're thinking, what is happening with this guy? What does this mean? God is getting his attention, but then look what happens next. It says that above that was something that looked like a vault. That, that's what he, so he's seeing this big storm, this cloud, this fire, this lightning, and all this stuff, and then his eyes go above that, and what does he see? It says it was a, a vault, it was, it was sparkling like crystal and awesome. Sparkling like crystal and awesome. And above the vault was a throne, and on it was the form of a human, but not quite a human, because from the waist up it was glowing metal, and the waist down was fire. Like, this is a significant person, deity sitting on this throne above the storm that's going on and the creatures that are running around and all the stuff that's happening. You can read the details. And then it said this, brilliant light surrounded him like a rainbow on a rainy day was the radiance around him. So you're trying to grab a picture of what's happening, this crazy dream that he's having, this vision that God has given him. And Ezekiel saw this storm. It's scary and it's unknown. I don't know about you, but the last four months I've seen a lot of things that are scary and unknown. We've faced a lot of things that are scary and unknown. And it was too much for him to understand, but not too much for God to be in control of. That's how I see what's happening. There's so much going on, whether it's COVID or racism or other things happening in our country and in our world and all over the place. That it seems too much to understand. How can all of this be happening at the same time? It's too much to understand, but it's not too much for God to be bigger than. It's not overwhelming to him. And, and as he looks at this storm, God, God brings the opportunity for his eyes to go higher. I, I think that's very cool. I think sometimes we tend to focus on our circumstances so much that we take our eyes off of God. And we can't do that. We can't, because the more we focus on what's bad, we miss out on what's good. And God says, quit focusing on the bad and letting your attitude go there. Focus on what's good, me. Remember how good I am. And and if you think about it from Ezekiel's standpoint, he's in captivity in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is the ultimate authority right now. He's capturing people and bringing them. He's powerful in the world at that time. And as he, as he does that, he has this vision, this storm and all, and then there's this throne that shows up. So to the known world, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. But to those that knew God, they were reminded he is king. 
See, Psalm 29.10 says, The Lord sits as king forever. It may look like Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, but he was not. It, it may look like things are falling apart and will never be together again. They're not. God's still in control. Even when we feel out of control, God is still in control. And I think that's so cool that to cap this off, he gives them this picture, and, and then around him is this rainbow. Now, rainbows are very cool, and I, I think they're, they're pretty awesome, but usually rainbows show up after the storm. And they usually show up just a piece of a rainbow. You don't get the whole thing. Here, in the middle of the storm that's raging here, his eyes go higher, and he sees the rainbow around this God on this throne with bright light and metal and fire and all the things going on as a reminder of God's goodness and grace and that God will never leave us or forsake us even in a storm. He is not going anywhere. He has not gone anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our tomorrows are unknown, but not to him. He is worth trusting. And our first response when we think about a wake-up call is where we're going to put our eyes. We have to lift our eyes above the storm to God and who he is and what he's done. And we need to be reminded of that. God demands that we look at him and see how good he is and take our eyes off of how bad things are. He is not defined by what's happening in our country and our world. That does not define him. He's aware of it. But he's good no matter what. And we can count on that. We can trust in that. And so... Ezekiel at that point just falls down in worship and recognizes, all right, this is big and I need to get ready for something. And so now we have to to look at this because after the vision comes the voice, which is as it should be. See, visions fade, but the word of God stands forever. The vision got his attention. The word called him to action. God's word is constantly calling us to action. And so here we have to figure out what is our response. Because for me, like when I was, it's easy for me just to hit snooze and roll over. Like, I don't know about you, but that's nine minutes. I, I don't need those nine minutes. I'll go back to sleep. Like, we can justify those things too often. And I think that we've done that maybe for four months. And it's time for us to stop. And it's time for us to respond. And so Ezekiel didn't roll over and go to sleep and go, man, what a dream that was, and then go back to being captive. He said, all right, here we go. The voice matters more, so let's go. Six responses that he gives us in chapter 2. And so this is where I really want to unpack some things. First response is this, stand up. Stand up. Now, for me in college, another thing that I learned in college um, I learned a lot. I was, that's why I was there seven years. But, but I learned a lot in that. One of the things that I learned was the fact that I could not keep my alarm clock next to my bed. That's a bad decision. Alarm goes off. I'm going to get ready. I had to move my alarm clock to the other side of the room is what I had to do. Because then for it to get turned off, I had to get up, get out of bed, walk over, turn it off. Now my body has started to function a little bit and I'm awake and now I can get on with my day. So I had to stand up before I could even turn the alarm off. That's my first response, is to stand up. If you look in Ezekiel 2, the very far part of verse 1, it says, Son of man, stand up on your feet. Stand up on your feet. The first thing I need you to do is stand. God's saying, hey, I'm getting your attention. I'm getting your attention. He needed him to be fully alert for the orders that he was about to give. Now, 
when you stand up, you think about things that you stand up for. Well, we just did it in worship. Brett called us to that. Let's stand in worship. Why? Because we sound better? Because it's a sign of respect and honor. It signifies something important is about to happen. That's what happens when the bride shows up. What happens? Please stand. When a judge comes in, please stand. Something significant and something of honor is about to happen. And the first thing he tells him is, stand up. What position are we currently in when it comes to God's presence? When he calls out, do we stand up? What position are we in to hear what God is saying in the midst of this storm? Stand up. Number two, listen up. Finishing verse one and going into verse two. After he says, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. Now, early on in our marriage, Amy and I, uh, learning to communicate as new couples do in their marriage and, and you kind of go back to your old default ways of doing that at times. And, and I'm pretty good at multitasking. And so I, I can watch the game and listen to it at the exact same time. Like, I'm really, really good at that, I thought. And, uh, and I remember clearly Amy would, would want to talk, and I'd be, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then she would grab me and turn and say, listen with your face, is what she would say to me. Yes, ma'am. And that's that's... And I've learned in that thing, that's important to not just listen with your ears, but listen with your face. And she would grab, listen with your face. And I think God is doing that right now. He's grabbing our face and saying, listen with your face. Don't just check the box and say you're listening. It's too often. We get mad at our kids when they do that, but why are we as God's kids doing that to him? Sorry, I stepped on your feet. But there's a difference Hebrew boys were taught the word Shema. Shema meant to hear and to obey. It was the same word, and it meant the same. It was not different dialects. It was literally the same word was to hear and to obey. It was the same thing. Our culture has divided those two out. In their culture, to hear is to obey. It's the same thing. But in our culture, it's different. We can listen and not obey, which is sin. But, but then we just say, well, I didn't hear you. That's not okay. We've, we've got to know that this is the first point of Shema. It's to hear. And so he's saying, listen, are we in position to hear? Have we stood up on our feet? Have we shaken the, the, the dust out of our ears? Are we in position to hear? So first we stand up, then we listen up, and now once we've done those two things, we go up. We go up. Verse uh, 3 in Ezekiel 2. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites which is an interesting point we'll get to in a second. But you're on your feet, you're listening, and now we must take action. In response to a wake-up call, action is required. Have you noticed that two-thirds of God is go? Just in his name. Like there is something about being with God that requires us to take action. It is imperative that we do that. And action is... Sometimes you say, well, he doesn't. True. Sometimes the action is be still. And you have to take action in order to be still because you're so dead gum busy you don't have time for God. There's always action required when a call is there. And so to understand that, that, that we've got to get on that action that's there. It, it is extremely rare 
that we can stay where we are and do what we've been doing and fulfill God's call, especially in the midst of a storm. Things are rocky and all over the place. And, and, and for the things to change, we have to change. And so we need to be ready to do that. We've got to be ready to go. And he says, I'm sending you to the There is a mission attached to this. You're going to stand up. You're going to listen up. And now you're going to go up. And now that I've given you the go up, here's what's going to happen when you get there. And now it starts getting a little bit more personal in this because point number four is this. It's time to speak up. But man, don't miss how. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and then I'll skip to 7. It says, the people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Go to 7. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. See, God recognizes where we're going to put our focus. He recognizes the fact that we're going to put all the stock into whether they listen or not. That doesn't matter. It's not our job to make them listen. It's our job to speak up. But what do we speak up? He also says that twice in here. He says them at the beginning, tell them, say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And then you go to verse 7. You must speak my words to them. Do you understand the value of your words is terrible compared to the value of God's word? God's word carries weight, it carries authority, it carries hope, it carries life, it carries final word. But too often we want to spout our opinion. We want to spout how it makes me feel, how I've been wronged, how I've been hurt, how I've been, and we make it about us when it's not. It's about him and it's about being obedient. Our response to a wake-up call is not to make things easier for us, it's to make him more famous. He never promised it was going to be easy here. Matter of fact, he said, you will face trials of many kinds. In this world, you will have that. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It's not about you. We have hope in his word. When we talk to people who don't see things the way that we do, too often it turns into who can win the argument. I mean, check out social media. Christ followers, people who claim Christ, are on both sides of every issue. And we become divisive and we're fighting. And why would the world ever want to listen to us when our words are tearing each other down and God's word is what builds us up? But we use God's word as a weapon to hurt people instead of build people up. Instead of a foundation they can stand on, we pull it out from underneath them so they'll fall. We've got to stop. Our words don't matter. His words matter. They are the most important thing. So when we speak up, we must speak up on the truth that is here in God's word. We've got to quit looking for loopholes that fit our agenda. And we've got to focus on what he told us to do. See, God honors obedience, not eloquence. And too often we think, if I can just talk my way into this or out of this, then everything will be fine. God said, I didn't ask you to go talk your way in or out of something. I asked you to go talk about me. Obedience is better than eloquence. Now, when I, when I read this passage that I just read to you guys, I'm just being vulnerable. Brett said we can be safe with each other here, right? Isn't that what he told us? Because it's just us and everybody watching. When I read this part of the scripture, and I think, man, those stubborn, obstinate people, those crazy people that don't know Jesus, you know, he said, I'm sending you to the Israelites. He wasn't sending them to the Babylonians who were the jerks, who were the oppressive ones. He sent them to to the Israelites. 
He sent them to his own people, and he called them stubborn and obstinate. See, too often we see ourselves as the hero in every story in Scripture. But too often we're the ones that need the rebuke. Too often we're the ones that are stubborn and obstinate. And I wonder what God would call his people in the midst of this pandemic right now. Are we obedient? Are we obstinate? God's word does not come back void. Our words do. And we have to speak up. We have to. But we have to speak up from the heart of God, not the anger and disappointment and frustration of man. That, that can't be the root of where it's coming from. Because then we're just trying to, to win the argument instead of win the relationship. Now, Scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we truly want to know how we feel about something, it's going to come out of our mouth because whatever we're putting in there is going to come out. And so if out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, then the question begs, what's in your heart? What's in my heart? What was in Ezekiel's heart? I'm glad you asked because that takes us to our next point. Number five, this is my favorite one, eat up. This is awesome. Like having a meal with someone is a very intimate thing. It's, it's next step relationship, right? Like you don't have a meal with everybody you meet, but you have a meal with people that, that you're going to the next level in the relationship with this. We, we have been incredibly blessed since Amy broke her back and, and been out of commission for a few weeks with the meals that, that many of you have brought to us. And we're so grateful. You have saved my kids from a life of cereal and grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> that's all I can offer. And, uh, and so I incredibly grateful for that. And we've been so blessed by that. Um, but recognize food is important. It's fuel for the body, right? We, it, we need it. In order to do the first four steps effectively and, and, and with length in it for a long time, we got to have food. We, we got to do that. So what does that mean in this? Well, here we go. God gave him a big task but did not send him to do the task on empty. He also filled his tank. Ezekiel 2, um, verse 8, and then chapter 3, 1 through 3, says this. It says, but you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Hmm, God had to repeat that again. How many times do parents have to repeat that to their kids? And we are his kids. Son of man, listen to what I have to say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. In chapter 3. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. There's an order to things. And we, we can't get it backwards. Then go speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Son of man, eat this scroll. I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. God's word is our only source of nourishment. For us to go speak up, we've got to speak what's going to come out of our hearts. For us to speak God's word, we've got to put it in our hearts. Does that make sense? We can't skip that step and go, I'm smart enough. I'm experienced enough. I know enough. No, we don't. It, it, is, it is ignorance compared to God and leaning into his wisdom that he has us there. It is life-giving, life-changing, hope-bringing, ultimate authority. It's the final word. And he tells us to hide God's word in our heart so that we don't sin against him. So we hide his word in our heart. We don't sin against him as a result. So we're able to live a life that honors him. And then out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, God's not dumb. He created us very efficiently if we will follow what he asked him to do. 
And he's getting our attention. There is a wake-up call happening right now. And so if we're told to hide his word in our hearts so we don't sin against God, I will tell you this. If nothing else, in the last four months, we have been given opportunity to be in the word. No one has an excuse to say, "Ah, I'm just too busy. I don't have time for that. We've been given time. Have we redeemed the time to be in God's word? How have you done? What scroll slash scriptures has God fed you that's helped you in this pandemic? How can you testify to the goodness of God's word because you've spent time in it through the midst of this very, very difficult season? That's a challenge for all of us that's there. We have a task at hand. And if we're going to walk into it starving, we're not going to do very well. We're going to cause more damage than, harm, than good. So you have to give more than a passing glance to God's word. It's not something in a window that you glance by. That looks good. And then keep going. You stop and you dig in. And we've got to get into God's word. Too many people are starving themselves and wonder why they feel like they're dying. And I, I've heard that. A lot of people want to give up during this time. I'm just done. And I I have to ask the question of myself and of us, are we dying because we're starving ourselves from the true word that we need? Are we eating too much news and social media and not enough of God's word? And and I don't say this to convict you. It's Holy Spirit if he does that. But I've had to to work through this in my own life in, in recognizing it's so easy to sit on the couch and default to Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or Hamilton. Because we just can't miss it because it's live streaming now. This thing's been live streaming for thousands of years. How important is it to us? Do we memorize it like we memorize the songs? Are you throwing away your shot? Huh? This is your opportunity to be in God's word. This is your opportunity to hide it in your heart. This is an opportunity to be ready to speak up when he calls you to do that. You've got to get a plan and you've got to get consistent because we have an opportunity And then the last one is this. After you've done stand up, listen up, go up, speak up, eat up, now it's time to show up. It's time to show up. Ezekiel went to the people, chapter 3, verse 15. says, I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River, and there uh, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. He went to them, he sat with them, he listened to them, he heard their stories and their hearts. And he earned the right to talk with them, not at them. And we have a really bad habit of talking at people instead of with people. And it's time to drop that. It's time to stop that. It's time to talk with people and not at people. If we are going to respond to the wake-up call of racism, which is the second time we've had this, it goes back to the 60s and 70s, and we had all these moments and we had this stuff, it's time for us to get serious about having some conversations. We must be willing to get uncomfortable and have healthy conversations and meals with people that don't look like us but do look like Jesus because we're all made in his image. And it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be humbling. I had a friend in in first service, Zach Nash Kelly, and and I knew him in high school over at Round Rock. He was a wide receiver over there and and didn't have a dad growing up. and, And so we just became close in that. And he's out of college now about to get married. Like, man, you're just a kid. But um but went and talked to him and just said, you know, Zach, I, I don't know what it is to be black. I've never been a black guy. So tell me what I don't know. Are we willing to even ask that question? 
Or are we just so proud in who we are that we can't go and say, I don't know what it's like to be you. I've never walked in your shoes. I've never faced what you faced. I've never had to deal with that. I wasn't taught what you were taught. I don't have the same fears you do. Teach me so I can stand with you. So I can understand. That's how you talk with people and not at people. And no, they're not going to look like you. No, they're not going to sound like you. But at the core of who we are, we're made in the image of Christ, and we're all his image bearers. And so it's time for us to show up in significance that's there. We should be distressed like Ezekiel was. He was distressed because they were stubborn, because they were obstinate. And God himself said, I'm going to make your forehead like the hardest rock in the world because you're going to be banging it against some really difficult situations. And I can identify with being hard-headed. That's not far stretch for me. We need to be unsettled. We need to not be okay with racism. Government laws and Facebook posts don't change people's minds. Relationships do. That's where change happens. How many times in the last four weeks has Mark reminded us in his videos, in his messages, in everything, that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves? The two greatest commandments that God's given us. He's reminded us over and over and over again about what that means to be that kind of a neighbor. And if it's just words in our ears and out the other ear, it's not making a difference. We've got to be that kind of person. We've got to show up. We've got to love God with all that we've got and then go love people with all that we've been given from God. We love because he first loved us. You don't go do it in your own strength. You spend time with the Father. You allow him to fill you up. And then you use what he gives you to love others. Because on our own, look what it leads to. It's division and racism. It leads to all of that stuff because we're more concerned with loving ourselves and loving God and loving others. And that's not okay. This is a wake-up call. And it's time to show up. And it's okay to not know everything. And it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to ask questions. If you want great answers, you got to ask great questions. And it's time for us to do that. This is the second part of the Shema, to hear and to obey, to show up, to walk with people. Transformation happens from the inside out, not the outside in. We have to keep showing up and watch what God will do. That's the response to a wake-up call. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, I'll finish with this. And so, Ben, you guys can come on up because I'm going to hammer it here. But Galatians 6, 9 is a verse that's super popular that we love, but we never go into verse 10 too often. But Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Man, that's awesome. I don't have to give up. I'll just keep doing good. And I, but what is good? See, that verse means we get to define good. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Okay, I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. I think we're the ones checking the box. So let's move on to verse 10 where he says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, wake up call, we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Oh, see, now God opened the box to everything that made us uncomfortable. When I get to define good, it's easy to do good. When I get to define what it is, then I'm happy to do it. But when he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, black people, white people, brown people. People that wear masks and people that don't want to wear masks. Republicans, Democrats, Americans, non-Americans, all people. We are called and challenged to do good to all people. How are we going to respond to this wake-up call that's happening in our nation? we got to stand up, listen up, go up, speak up, eat up, and show up for the kingdom of God is at hand. My question is, how long does the alarm have to sound before we respond? 
How long is God going to allow this to continue in our country and in our world because the church of Jesus Christ has not risen up to the response to the wake-up call that's happening? We're closer to the end than we've ever been. I don't know when it is, but we're closer than we've ever been. Let's get ready. Let's be who he's called us to be. Do what he's called us to do in his name, not ours. I'm going to pray, and then guess what we're going to do? We're going to stand up. And we're going to respond. So it's going to be an immediate opportunity right here. If you want to come to the altar, you can. There won't be people to pray with you because we're not going to touch you. But God will. He's got his hand on you. Are you listening? Are we responding? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word that does not come back void. We're grateful that we can hide it in our heart. We're grateful that that we can use it as a weapon to defeat the enemy. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is is the, the, the devil straight from hell. And God, he is who we need to fight. And we need to bond together as brothers and sisters in Christ to stand for the truth of who you are. Thank you for a guy like Ezekiel. And just a guy, captivity, called to be a priest and a prophet, to go talk to very difficult people. But God, obedience makes the difference. And so give us our next step right here, right now, today. God, no more excuses. No more making our own list. No more following our agenda. No more trying to change people's minds on Facebook. But we're going to go make relationships that make a difference. Because we can point them to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.